You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. I'm grateful to be back in the pulpit, and so today I want to share with you two things that Jesus said were the most important. How many know when Jesus says something, it's important to listen? I know we say that, but do we really do that? And the question is, do we really do that? And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're like, well, that might be important to you, Jesus, but I'll get around to it. It's not as important to me. But how many know when Jesus says something is important, we should really pay attention? And so it's a two-part series about two things that Jesus said were very important. And so I want to take a look at that together. So turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Matthew 22. Matthew 22 verses 35 through 40, and we'll have it on the screen behind me. Let me encourage you in this, too. I I will encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. You know, um, one of the things that was said is that they always checked out what Paul had to say to make sure it was accurate. If you are only going off of what I say, and you're not double-checking it in your word, how do you know if I'm telling you the truth or not? Right? So bring your Bibles. I want to encourage you to do that. We're looking at Matthew 22, verse 35 through 40, and it says this, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, meaning Jesus, and saying to him, Teacher, which is, the great, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today, and I pray that you'd give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to respond to your Spirit's leading. May it penetrate just what we know, and it may affect who we are, Lord. Help us to love you more than we've ever done before, and to live it out as we should. Well, the two most important commandments when this was asked of Jesus, the way it's phrased is, which one has the greatest weight? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees would often weigh the different uh, commandments, and they would quantify them in terms of their importance. And they would say, okay, this one is most important doctrinally. This one holds the most weight And so when the lawyer is asking the question of Jesus, he's saying, which one is the greatest? He's saying, which one is the heaviest? Which one is the most important and relevant? And Jesus said, the most important things are to, number one, love the Lord your God with all that is within you, with your all. And the second thing is to love the people around you. And he says, everything that's written in the law and the prophets, you have to understand that All that they had in those days were the law and the prophets. The New Testament had not been written yet. So that was their Bible. He says that everything in your Bible hangs off of these two things, that you must love God with your all and love the people around you. One feeds into the other. If you don't love God, then you won't feel the motivation to love people because we'll default to what we like what we love, and what we enjoy. But if we have God's love within us, permeating through us, then it will affect us in such a way that he will give us love for people that we wouldn't otherwise love. Have you ever experienced that? You ever experienced that God gives you a love for people that you wouldn't normally love? 
I'm talking about people that, like, before you were a Christian, you couldn't stand to be around. Maybe you didn't care about the homeless. Maybe you didn't care about single mothers. Maybe you didn't care about the poor. And, but then you came to Christ, and then all of a sudden there was this intense desire to help them. Can I tell you that that love comes from the Lord? Have you ever met challenging people, whether it be in the workplace or in the world that you live in? And normally they would get your goat, but somehow God gives you the calm and the peace within your heart to be loving and kind in spite of that. That is from the Lord. So one has to feed the other. We need a love for the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we need to love one another. Now, why love Jesus with your all? Why love him with your all? Because of what he did for us. Take a look at 1 John 4, verses 9 through 11. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifested, or in other words, seen towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, or in other words, a substitution for our sin. Beloved, if God loved us, so we ought to love one another. The Apostle John reminds believers that it wasn't us who loved God first, but it was God who loved first and demonstrated it by showing it by sending his son Jesus to die for our sins. Why? Because mankind was separated from God by sin, whether it was Adam's original sin in the garden or even the smallest sin you have committed in your lifetime, all and any sin is met with the judgment of God. Did you know that? God doesn't quantify things and say, hey, you know what, you're not as bad as your neighbor." You're not as bad as the person you're sitting next to in church. You're not as bad as the criminal that's on the evening news. So because of that, you get a pass because you're not as bad as somebody else. But that's not what the Scriptures tell us. The Scriptures tell us that all sin results in the judgment of God and eternal separation from Him. So there's no one that gets in on the merits of their own goodness. We were hopeless, helpless, and without salvation. Heaven is the dwelling of the righteous, and all of our righteousness is like filthy rags, the Scripture says. But God did not leave us without hope. Sin's ultimate punishment is death and separation from God, and every person was doomed to experience this until God the Father, in His great love and mercy, sent Jesus Christ, and Jesus died on a cross for the sins of all mankind all the sins of the past, and every sin of the future so that every generation would have the hope of salvation. That whoever believes on him, whoever calls on the name of Jesus in faith, believing and following him, will be saved. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just die for the people that knew him? Aren't you glad that Jesus' offer of salvation didn't expire or have like an expiration date? Good until or goodbye. 
Aren't you glad that his work on the cross wasn't just a work for the generation that was in that time frame, but it was an eternal work that would stretch from generation to generation so that all people would experience the magnificent and omnipotent power of God at work within their life through salvation. That's something to rejoice about. But as Christians, sometimes we can lose the joy and the excitement of our salvation. Do you remember the joy that you experienced upon salvation? Do you remember the first time you heard the message of the cross and put your faith in Christ? You recognized that your sins were forgiven. Your heart was made clean. You may have even felt deep emotions like joy down in the deep parts of your soul. Maybe you felt, uh, you know, moved to tears that you wept uncontrollably because you were so overwhelmed by the the mercy and the goodness of God. Or perhaps you got saved and you became incredibly excited about God. But then you got older, right? And as you got older, you know, that kind of enthusiasm waned. Maybe that joy and that excitement went by the wayside. You used to love spending time with God, spending time in prayer, reading his word and worshiping him. You couldn't wait to go to church. You were excited to tell people about Jesus. You loved encouraging people. But then as time went on, that passion faded. Soon church became an afterthought. Telling people about Jesus became a chore. You know, worshiping became kind of blah. And reading the word became... Well, I'll get to it if I can get to it. Soon nothing moved you. You came to church less. God was part of your life less. But he wasn't a part of a big a part as he used to be. And the pressures of and disappointments of life started to take its toll on your faith. And your love for God was no longer the central focus of your life, but instead it took a back seat to everything else. And that's really the danger of losing our love for God. Is that This life is really hard. I don't need to tell you that. Some of you have experienced it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been through some tough things in life. So there are times where you might think that God doesn't love you or he doesn't love you as much as somebody else or the circumstances in your life would dictate that maybe he loves you but he's just not showing his love to you. Maybe he's withholding his goodness, his kindness, his benefits, his blessing. And so because of that, you get a little discouraged. Sometimes you might get a little disappointed. Sometimes you might feel like giving up and God is not the central part of your life that he used to be. Jesus isn't your all or your everything anymore. He he isn't the thing that excites you when you talk about him anymore. This is a dangerous place to be because this is where faith falters and fails. I'll say that again. This is a dangerous place to be because this is where faith falters and fails. Take note of what Jesus said about a fading love for God, Matthew 24, 11 through 13. Again, not my words, but Jesus' words, okay? So you're going to get mad at somebody, get mad at him. I encourage you to have a conversation with him. He enjoys conversation. He enjoys prayer. There's times where the scriptures may unsettle you. It's designed that way. Did you know that? Did you know that sometimes the writers of scripture wrote things in such a way to unnerve you? Wrote in such a way to maybe upset you. Because you're used to a certain way of life that you've been taught this is the way it is. 
So if it troubles you a little bit, if it causes you to wrestle a little bit, that's the intent because it's challenging what is the norm in life and society. And so it should. Jesus says this concerning the end times in the last days. He says, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And look at verse 13, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. What is he saying there? He is saying that there is going to be an increase of persecution. There's going to be an increase of false teaching. And brethren, brothers and sisters today, if you don't know that that's happening, just turn on YouTube. There's an abundance of false teaching today. And some are just going, hey, it's God's word. It's scripture, right? No, you need to be careful. It's because of the abundance of false teaching today. There's abundance of persecution and lawlessness. He says things will become so lax spiritually and morally that people will fall away and stop loving God. Or because of persecution and pressure, people will be forced to kind of choose between their own personal comfort and loving God, and some will choose their personal comfort. That's just the way it is. So Jesus says, but those who who don't let their love grow cold, who endure to the end, will be saved. Take a look at what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I I want you to notice this because these are what Jesus writes to the seven churches in Asia Minor. These are churches that were established by the Spirit of God. Churches that were planted by sometimes the Apostle Paul or other apostles. They planted these churches. They established these churches. The church in uh, Ephesus was uh, founded by the Apostle Paul, was pastored by Timothy. Yet Jesus writes these words to this faithful church. He says, You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. That's great, right? Sounds like a lot of us today, doesn't it? We have persevered. We have maintained patience. We have served the Lord and not grown weary. But he says, notice this, verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first things, or I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Notice the word repent twice showing up in there. These these are incredible words to the church in Ephesus. He's like, you're doing everything right. You're serving me. You're following me. You're doing the good work. You're persevering under trial. You're remaining patient. But he says, you've lost your love for me. And he says, if you don't get back to loving me, if you don't get back to the first things, in other words, the things you did at the beginning when your salvation was new, when your love for God was real, if you don't get back to these things, he says, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Now, you might say to yourself, well, what's the big, what's the big deal? Lampstand. Come to my house. I've got friendly lampstands. Which one do you want, Jesus? Take any one you want. But the lampstand signified the church. It says, he who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Each of those lampstands represented the church. He says, if you don't fix this love problem in your life, says your church won't cease to exist. Your church will no longer exist. Why? Because the very thing that it was established for, upon the love of God, if it's not there, then you won't stay for any other reason. 
So it's a challenging thought to us. Listen, if you lose your love and your passion for God, not only will your faith falter, any church that you're in will fail. If all of us the next day said, you know, I don't love God anymore, or, you know, I'll get to God when I can fit him into my schedule, this place would be empty, and there would be no church. So it's really challenging to us to be aware that, you know, if we are not careful, our love can, be, can wane and go away. A first love that's lost needs to be restored. Because if you do not have genuine, devoted love, then in that case, you're not really loving Jesus at all. You won't do things out of love for him. In fact, you might not do anything at all. Love leads us to change. Genuine love for God makes us want to be better for him. Can I share with you a secret when it comes to change? You won't change for your pastor. You won't. You won't change for your friends. You might change for your family. But if you really don't want change, can I share with you a secret? You're not going to change. There has to be something in you that says, I want change more than I want everything else in life. And that's God working within us. The conviction of the Spirit can work very hard in our lives so that we want to change. We are cognizant and aware of that we're not where we should be and we want to be better. So God moves us towards that. But don't try and change for me because what pastor wants me to change. Can I tell you that won't last? Don't change because you feel like your friends are all doing this and you need to do what they do. You know what ends up happening there? You end up being fake. You end up doing what other people do, saying what other people say, but inside you don't really believe it. Inside, you don't even really follow it. Inside, you don't even understand what they're saying. So in many ways, we can't change because we see everybody else around us changing. There has to be something where God's spirit within us says, I need change. I've lost my love for you. I've lost my passion for you, and I need to come back to it. And I'll tell you the truth, honestly, as much as I've tried to not preach this way, this is who I am. This is like God driving force within me pushes me to preach this way because like God is my everything. And I wish I always lived like that. There's some days I'm like you. I'm complacent. I'm lazy. I don't do what I should because it's work. It's hard. It's effort. But it doesn't mean that the passion's not there or the desire's not there. We just have to line our passion up with our work and our effort. You won't change unless you want to. But if you love the Lord and if you realize that change must be rooted in your love and obedience to Jesus, then you understand that you must do it or your faith will cease to exist. Love requires devotion. Dr. Tony Evans, pastor of Oak Cliff's Bible Fellowship, said this. He says, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married. But stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. All right? <laughs> like saying to your wife, hey, yeah, man, I love you. I'll see you in like four weeks with no contact. See how that goes. 
I guarantee it won't go well. Why? Because love requires that continual interaction, that continual dwelling, and that continual work to improve. Love requires devotion, reinforcement, re-expression, and renewal. Let's look back at Jesus' words in Matthew 22, in verse 37. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Loving God with your all. The word for love here is agapeses, which you might recognize the word agape in there. It means unconditional love. So when he's saying love the Lord your God, he's not just saying love in a casual sort of way. He's saying love unconditionally. Can I challenge you for a moment? Can I, can I maybe unsettle you a bit this morning? If you only love God for what he can give you, that's not unconditional love. If you only love God when he does what you want him to, it's not unconditional love. God is not a genie in a bottle that we rub to give us what we want. I see so many Christians whose faith are wrecked because God didn't do what he wanted, what they wanted him to do. But the reality is, if you love God, you say, I'm following you, not the other way. So I want to walk with you, Jesus. Show me the way. Help me to follow after you. But the word agapeses means unconditionally. Do you love God unconditionally? Come what may, good or bad, when, things are, when there's times of blessings and when there's times of trial, do you love God in spite of all that unconditionally? We're to love God with our all. That means there isn't a single part of our life that isn't visible. To the world around us. In every part of our life, your devotion for God must be seen, seen in us by others and by God. The word here used for all means your all or the everything. It speaks to complete areas of your life. And Jesus speaks to four areas where we must love God. Now this passage mentions three things. The parallel to this in Mark 12, 30 parallels and says four things. But there are three areas, sorry, four areas in which we must love God with our all. Love God with all of your heart. That's the first thing. With your heart. Loving God with all your heart means that he is the source and object of your greatest desire and passion. Everything in your life is centered on him. It means that you are completely faithful and devoted to God and that his purposes direct every area of your life. Loving God with all your heart is resting in the assurance of the Father's unending love for you and doing everything out of appreciation for that love. See, if you came to Christ because of the compassion and love of the Father, there is no earning that love. It is not something that we acquire through our good works or that we acquire because we're better than other people or we do less bad things. There's no earning the Father's love. You already have it. You just have to live in it and let it guide you. When you love God with all your hearts, doing things for him is easy, not because you have to, but because you want to. When you love someone, it's easy to do things for them. And believe it or not, there are times you'll do things for someone out of love that you wouldn't do normally on your own. 
If you've ever st- stood in the rain at a kid's soccer game, you know that you were doing that not because you want to, but because you love those kids and someone had to bring them there. And you certainly can't sit in the car, okay? If you love your spouse, you will go shopping for painting and curtains, even though that's the furthest thing from your mind that you want to do, right? When you love someone, when you love your kids, you will drive them five hours to upstate New York to move them into their new apartment so they can feel comfortable in college. Is that something that you want to do? No, it's not. But it's something you do out of love. And there are times in your walk with God that out of love, he will ask you to do something just like that person's asking you to pick them up from from work when it's late and you don't want to do that. Or that friend calls you and says, hey, can you pick me up from the airport? You don't put them on ignore or on read and don't like respond to it. Like out of love, you go, I don't want to do this. But out of love, I will do this. And there's going to be times in your life where your all requires the things that you don't want to do for God. Loving him with all your heart. Secondly, love Jesus with all your soul. The Greek word for soul here is psyche. It means your being, the things and qualities that make you distinctly you, your personality, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your hopes and dreams. God created you uniquely. How many know when we get to heaven, we're not going to all be the same boring, cookie-cutter people? Aren't you glad for that? Like, Gary will still be loud. Arnie will still tell terrible jokes. It will be great. We'll all be there forever in eternity. We don't lose that. It's like you don't stop being you in heaven. Aren't you excited about that? Maybe you're not so excited about that. I don't know. You're like, oh, man, I was hoping that somehow heaven would change them in some way. But we are still very much you. And God created you uniquely, you, with gifts, talents, and abilities, with personality, with blessing. And so few of us utilize our whole soul in service to God. We think that service to God is only being behind this pulpit on Sunday. We think serving God is only uh, leading the offertory prayer. We think serving God is only going to the soup kitchen or whatever the case might be. But serving God with your whole being means that whatever talent and ability I have, I'm going to find some way to be a benefit to the kingdom of God and bless somebody in the name of Jesus. And when you do it, do it and let them know I'm doing this because God loves you. With your whole soul, with all your being. I will challenge you, if you do this study on this, it will transform the way you serve God. That your whole being would serve him. That, you know, I can swing a hammer and put things together in carpentry. You can use that to bless somebody. Or if you have a truck with a dolly, you can help somebody move their new washing machine into their house. That's a blessing too. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. To love the Lord your God with your mind means that your thoughts, intentions, decisions are based on what pleases God. Loving God with your mind means that you love him beyond just what you feel, but also because of what you know. This is particularly important when you go through challenges It's not what you feel that will keep you connected and committed with Christ. It's what you know. Everything in your experiences and emotions might tell you that God is not with you, especially when people are against you. But what you have to do is counter those feelings with truth. What does God's word say about it? And if Hebrews 3, 5 says that he will never leave you or forsake you, 
It's what his word says, and it doesn't matter how you feel. And believe me, there's days where sometimes you'll be the only one doing what's right. Sometimes you'll do something and everybody else will kind of be against you because you did that. It doesn't mean you should stop doing that thing if it's the right thing just because everybody else is against it. But believe me, there's moments where you feel that pressure, you feel that social anxiety, and you might feel like, I can't do this because emotionally I'm second-guessing myself. Emotionally I feel threatened or I feel angry or I feel stressed. That's when we come back to what we know in our mind. What has God's Word said? And what God's Word said, that should keep us and sustain us in the midst of it. That takes training. You can't do that if you don't know God's Word. And if the only word you're getting on Sunday is me telling it to you, then you have just a drop in the bucket compared to what's available to you in God's precious Word. uh, uh, Available resources that you can't possibly fathom or comprehend. All at your disposal. If you spend time in the Word, it's never wasted. His word never returns empty or void. Another aspect of the mind is that we have the mind of Christ. When we don't know what to do, we ask God's spirit what to do. And he leads and guides us and he directs us what to do. We don't think of things the way the world tends to think of things. We think of things the way that God would lead to us by his spirit. It shows us this is the way. This is what you should do. When we don't know what to do, we rely upon him. We call upon him. And he speaks to our mind and directs our paths and our thoughts so that we know what to do. There'll be times where you won't even know what to say in a situation. But didn't Jesus promise his disciples that when they are pressed and stressed, when they're before rulers and people in authority, says, do not worry. The Spirit will give you the words to say when you need to say them. And he will remind you of everything that I've taught you. So we have the mind of Christ because the Spirit of God reminds us of things that we've heard and learned and spent time with God. Some people think that our thoughts and our emotions are two separate things, that they can't work together. Yes, they can. They absolutely can. In fact, if you remind yourself of the truth of God's Word, if you are a student of God's Word and you come back to it, you'll find yourself getting excited when you remind yourself of the truth of God's Word with all your mind. Finally, love Jesus with all of your strength. Now, this is in Mark 12, verse 30, when the same passage talks about this question. This means your best energies and effort go into serving the Lord and his purposes. In other words, you pursue Jesus with zeal and energy, giving your all to him. You could say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm older now. I don't have the energy I used to. Can I tell you something? I've met people who are older than I am with so much love for God and enthusiasm for God, it doesn't matter what they're physically able to do or not do. What matters is the Spirit. Can I tell you your wonderful thing about the truth about eternity is that even though your body doesn't cooperate now, your spirit is immortal and you will get a new body. So that body is going to be aligned with your spirit when you get there. So the things you can't do, like when you drop something on the floor and you're like, I'm just going to leave that there. Or you want to get down on the floor with your dog or your kids, and you're like, yeah, that's going to be an effort getting back up. The the trip down is not hard, but the trip up is a little longer. And you're going to say, well, I can't do things for God anymore because I don't have the strength, I don't have the ability, I don't have the stamina, I don't have those things anymore. Can I challenge you today? Let your spirit and soul be incorruptible. Let your spirit and soul be filled with the zeal for the Lord. 
Because you know what? We're, our soul stays the same. Our spirit goes into heaven. But you will get a new body. Don't let your body tell your soul how it's going to be. And all the people over 60 said amen, right? Amen? Okay. Still with me? All right. But doing this with all of your strength, it means that you persevere when circumstances are challenging and even emotionally exhausting. At times you might need to make decisions that are difficult and require strength to see them through. And they'll test the limits of your endurance. There's times you'll face resistance to your faith. People will come against you. They'll disparage your character. They'll make fun of you. They'll call you a fanatic. They'll, listen, they'll fail to ig- listen to you. They'll ignore you. But expect that because Jesus said that would happen. Expect pushback when you follow Jesus. Even Jesus said you would experience this. This is nothing new. Instead of easily giving in at the first sign of resistance, press on. If you've ever done weight training, which I know not many of you have, but like if you understand weight training, your strength is measured by resistance. You put weight on the bar, you put weight in the weight machine, you adjust, you know, the uh, amount of weight that's coming, and it's that resistance that builds strength and endurance. And Yes, you can't lift it. If you can lift it easily, that's nothing. But it's when there's resistance, you're like, ah, oh, this, is, this is tough. And you push, and you do the reps, and you develop the strength, and now the next time around, you are stronger. So what you went through, you're, uh, you can put five, ten more pounds on it, and you're pushing back on it. But you don't gain anything if there's zero resistance. Some of us are so used to, like, uh, you know, being comfortable that when we face any kind of resistance for our faith, we go, I guess that's not what God wanted. I guess that's not what God wanted because it's hard. We face challenges. You know, you start doing some great things for God. People say, well, your motivation's wrong. That person's doing it for the attention. They're doing it so other people can look at them. And you go, oh, no. I don't want them saying that about me, even though you know that's not true. And because of that, you pull away from it. You start serving the Lord. You start sharing your faith with somebody. And Instead of them readily accepting the gospel, they, they challenge you. They call you a kook or a religious fanatic, or they start trying to debate with you over things, and you go, I guess I'm not supposed to share my faith anymore because that was hard. Jesus, I know you told me to do it, but that was hard, and, and they, they resisted. Expect resistance. You try and be a good example in your family. You're trying to live right. You're trying to do the right thing amongst them. And then you slip. You say something you shouldn't say. You lose your temper. You lose your cool. And all of a sudden, your, your uh, family members are like, see, what a great Christian you are. What a great example you are. And you go, I guess, I, I guess I'm not a great Christian. I guess I'm not a good example. And you start beating yourself up instead of just repenting and getting back on the horse and trying again and own it. Can I just challenge you, fathers, mothers, own it. If you fall, you fail, take responsibility. Be like, I messed up. I said something I shouldn't have said. Don't make excuses for it. Don't be like, you made me mad. <laughs> you, you upset me, and so it's your fault that I reacted the way I did. No. God's got to work on me. Take your son or daughter aside. Take your family aside. Say, I blew it. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Can I tell you something? Can I challenge you with something? You will gain so much respect in their eyes for doing it instead of making excuses for it because it shows that you're real. 
God's still working on you. Not, God's not done with you yet. But expect resistance. Expect the enemy to come against you. Expect people to push back against you. But God will give you the strength. Even when you're weary and weak, the Holy Spirit will strengthen you for what he wants you to do. So we have the two most important commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But here's the problem, and this is why so many Christians find this challenging. There's competition for your all. Competition for your all. Which leads some Christians to compartmentalize and only give God some of their life. Or only give God certain areas of their life. Or only give God certain days or certain times to him. Can I tell you that Jesus doesn't want your some. He wants your all. He doesn't just want Sunday from 10 to 11.30. He doesn't just want Tuesday from 11.30 to 1. He doesn't just want Thursday night from 7 to 8.30. He doesn't even just want your your devotional from 6.30 a.m. to 7.15 a.m. He doesn't, those are good. Don't stop those things. But if you think that's all he wants from your life, that's just a small fraction. And sometimes we think we've done such a great thing. I spent 15 minutes with the Lord today. Do you realize that what he's asking of us permeates everything that we do and everything that we're a part of? That's everything that we are. That when you are in your business place, you are thinking about how to honor the Lord. When you're in your family, you're thinking about how to honor the Lord. When you're doing things for others, you're thinking about how to honor the Lord. You're thinking about my love for God being expressed in all areas of my life. This world's going to compete for that love. It's going to compete for your all. Know that man's heart is deceitfully wicked and it cannot be trusted. One day we feel good and the next we feel like we can't go on because that's how life can be. But if we rest solely in that moment, we'll always be thrown back and forth. You can't always trust what you feel. The problem with our soul is that if we focus solely on ourselves, we become the most important thing. It's about my goals, my dreams, my hopes, my ambitions. And a lot of the church focus where you hear preaching is more self-help today than spiritual sacrifice. Where it's all about what do you want and how can God give it to you. If we focus on just our soul, then we're not giving him our all. We focus on our mind. We become confused, overwhelmed, challenged, stressed, and suddenly our thoughts are fractured and we lose our focus. Sometimes our minds is where we wrestle with the deep questions of our faith and threatens to shipwreck things. So sometimes if we just get caught up in our thoughts, we can lose our way. I meet so many Christians that when we pray at the altar, they're trying to figure it all out. And they say, once I figure it all out, then I'll be free. Can I challenge you that the Spirit of God doesn't always need you to figure it out? You hop in that car out there, you turn the key, you press the gas, and it goes. Does that mean that everybody in here needs to know the internal workings of internal combustion engines and how the catalytic converter works and how exhaust emissions happen and how many miles per gallon? Most of you don't even know how to fill the gas tank or check your oil, but yet you get in the car and you go. You don't need to know to go. Amen? Amen. <laughs> So stop letting your mind sabotage what God would want you to receive in prayer because, well, lay it out for me, God. How's it all going to happen? How am I going to figure it out? He doesn't always do that. Can I, can I let you know that? 
But if you let him and let go, you'll see God do great things. The problem is sometimes our strength runs out. We feel tired and weary from the fight and we want to give up. And sometimes Christians do give up. But there is a solution. Keep giving your all to the Lord every day of your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and give all of ourselves over to the Lord on a daily basis. Can I challenge you to bring daily, Jesus, all of your love, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, not just on Sundays, not just on Thursdays, not just during the Bible study or the prayer meeting, but every day, Lord, this is yours. This day, my family, this job, everything is yours. I give you my all. And when I'm at church, I'm fully engaged in church. When I'm in the Bible study, I'm fully engaged in the Bible study. When it's prayer time, I don't just wait for the next person who likes to ramble, go on and on, and I just tune out. When you're there, give God all of your being, all of who you are in that moment, and do that on a daily basis. And when you do, you will give God your all. Jesus said, and these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything depends on these two things, your love for God and your love for people. But today, can I challenge you, give him not just your sum, but your all. And there's going to be times where your all is going to mess up your schedule. There's going to be times where your all is going to sometimes cost you money. There's going to be times where your all is going to mean that you're going to have to save face sometimes because it's embarrassing. When you give God your all, it may be challenging. But when you do, you are honoring God fully, and you are keeping one of the two great commandments that Jesus said, the most important thing. I wonder if we can just bow our heads right now, whether you're watching at home or whether you're here today. Listen, you've tried to change, you've tried to be different, and every effort has failed. Your family says you need to change. Your friends say you need to change or you're on the destructive pathway. People around you say to change, but the reality is unless you allow God to change you, you're not going to change. Unless you genuinely want change because you know you need change, you're not going to change. So we have to yield ourselves to the changing power of God's Holy Spirit and the overwhelming presence of his love in our life. But only you can do that. No one can do that for you. That's why you try and fail so often to be different because you keep trying to do it for other people and you're not doing it because God wants to do a changing work in your life. So this morning, wherever you are, whatever you're going through and whatever you're facing today, can I challenge you to give God not just one part, but everything? Even your failures. God, I haven't always been who I should be. Give him your failures. And when I say give him to that, you're confessing it to him, and you're saying, God, I messed up, and I'm sorry for that. I need change. Give it over to him and let him lead. Let him guide. Let him direct. The only way that our faith and our church will survive is if we love him with all that we are. Can I pray with you? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you today that in your amazing love, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. 
And God, we receive that love upon salvation by faith. And Lord, we are saved, we're set apart, we are sons and daughters of God. But Lord, there's a point in our lives where sometimes our love has gone, has gone by the wayside, it's gotten cold. Sometimes we lack the passion, energy, and desire to follow you anymore. Lord, I pray for those that feel that way. Lord, would you renew in them a love for you that will not extinguish or go out. Lord, I pray that for those that maybe uh, don't, haven't given all of their life, but only given parts or times of their lives, I pray that they would give you everything, Lord God, and turn it over to you. And that, Lord, that you would show them how much more rich and rewarding and blessing their life can be when they give it fully over to you. Lord, I pray that people would step out of where they're comfortable and step into a life that's marked by your love and dwell and walk fully in it. And you ask that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.